have a copy of God's Word, I want you to hold it up right now and repeat these words after me. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth. For what we believe and how we live. Now open your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 9. Some of you probably, like I was, was taught to pray as a child. Uh, I, I, I can remember very vividly as a child learning certain prayers that taught me the power and the importance of prayer. For instance, one of the prayers that, that I learned, I'm sure that many of you learned when you were growing up, God is good, God is great, let us thank him for our food, by his hands we are fed, give us Lord our daily bread, amen. How many of you have ever heard that prayer, you prayed that prayer as a little child? What about this prayer right here? Now and I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, if I should die before I wake, I Pray the Lord my soul to take. And then it goes on to say, and if I live another day, I, I pray the Lord to guide my way. Amen. Did any of you pray a prayer like that when you were a little kid? And when I was growing up, I mean, the world that I was growing up is different than the world that, that you're growing up in today if you're a teenager. And when I was growing up and I was in school, we even prayed in school. I mean, we did that. It's a crazy thing. We prayed, and, and we would pray the Lord's prayer, and, and we learned it, and, and we prayed this prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And as a little kid, I learned these prayers. 
But the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is not did we learn prayers when we were little, but how is our prayer life today? That's what really matters. So let me ask you some questions. How would you describe your prayer life today? Now don't answer, but I want you to think it through. How would you describe your prayer life today? Is it powerful? Consistent? Weak? Or virtually non-existent? How would you describe your prayer life? How would you say that you pray? Do you pray daily? Do you pray every other day? Do you pray weekly? Or do you only find yourself praying in emergency situations? God, I desperately need you. And how long do you pray when you do pray? Do you find yourself praying for seconds? For minutes? Or do you find yourself at times praying for hours on end? Now, two weeks ago, as we were looking at Daniel, we looked at the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And we discovered as we looked at that story that Daniel had developed a habit, a spiritual habit in his life. And that habit was prayer. Three times a day, every day, Daniel would pray. And the enemy tried to use that habit of prayer against him to bring his downfall. And you need to understand today that we have an enemy that's going to try to belittle your prayer life. He's going to try to tell you that it's meaningless, that it doesn't really matter, that it doesn't change things. But you need to understand today that your prayer life is perhaps the most powerful thing you have as a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you develop a powerful prayer life, God can use you to literally change your world. That's what he did with Daniel. I mean, from the very first chapter to the very last chapter of this book, we see that Daniel was a prayer warrior who prayed powerful prayers. But what I want us to do this morning is not just look at the fact that Daniel prayed. No, I want us to... I want us to take a journey into his prayer life. I want us to, to look at a prayer that he prayed. And as we look at the prayer that he prayed, we need to ask ourselves, what do we need to do to pray like Daniel did? Powerful, life-changing prayers. Then, if your Bible is open to Daniel chapter 9, I want you to follow along as I read beginning in verse 1. It says it was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Ahasuerus, who became king of the Babylons, Babylonians. This takes us back to the end of Daniel chapter 5. This happened before Daniel 6. Daniel was praying this before he ever went into the lion's den. And this tells us that, that Daniel was praying throughout this book. During the first year of the reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. And don't miss this. Even though during the time of Daniel, Daniel was a younger contemporary of Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah was seen as the word of God. Understand, Jeremiah was still alive when Daniel was taken into captivity in Babylon. 
And yet as Daniel is reading this book from Jeremiah the prophet, he says this is the word of God. And as he is reading God's word, something is revealed to him. He begins to see that Jerusalem and and the city walls and the temple will lie desolate for 70 years. And then Daniel begins to think. I was taken into captivity as a young teenager. I'm down in my 80s. It's about time for God to restore Jerusalem. And so Daniel begins to pray prayers in light of what he reads in God's word. It says, so I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. Now, there are multiple words that are important in that verse. The word pleaded literally means to search out, to strive after, to beg. This wasn't just a casual prayer that Daniel was praying. Daniel was seeking after God. Daniel was seeking a word from God, so much so that he uses two different Hebrew words to describe the prayers that he was praying. But Daniel not only prayed, we're told that Daniel fasted. He went without food. He so desperately wanted to connect with God that he was willing to give up food and go hungry So that he could hear from God. But he not only fasted. I mean the Bible says that he wore burlap. Rough burlap and poured ashes on his head. What is that all about? Well how many of you have ever seen a burlap sack? You remember burlap sacks? Let me just tell you if you don't know. A burlap sack isn't comfortable. I mean you're not going to want to go to the score. Get a burlap sack and and get someone to make you a suit out of a burlap sack. It's not going to be comfortable. It's going to itch. It's going to tear at the skin. But Daniel put this burlap sack on. Then he poured ashes on his head as a picture of the fact that he was willing to give up all comfort so that he could hear from God. Some of us aren't even willing to turn off our TV to hear from God. Some of us aren't willing to to set aside our phone for minutes so that we can hear and talk to God. I prayed to the Lord, my God, and confessed, Oh Lord, you are great and awesome, God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfulfilling love to those who love you and obey your commands. Always. God always keeps his promises. But we have sinned, done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are in the right. But as you see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true of all of us, including the people of Judah and Jerusalem and all Israel scattered near and far. Wherever you have driven us because of our disloyalty to you. Oh Lord, we and our kings, princes and ancestors are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. Over and over and over again, Daniel is acknowledging his sin and his people's sin before Almighty God. 
But the Lord our God is merciful and forgiven, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God, for we have not followed the instructions he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has disobeyed your instruction and turned away, refusing to listen to your voice. So now the solemn curses, the judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured down on us because of our sin. Now how did he know what Moses had written in the law of God? He knew it because he was reading the word of God. And just as he did from the book of Jeremiah, he is quoting the word of God back to God as he prays. You have kept your word and, and done to us as our rulers exactly, or done to our rulers exactly as you warned. Never has there been such a disaster as happened in Jerusalem. Every curse written against us in the law of Moses has come true. Yet we have refused to seek mercy from the Lord our God by turning from our sins and recognizing his truth. Therefore, the Lord has brought upon us the disaster he prepared. The Lord our God was right to do all of these things, for we did not obey him. O Lord our God, you brought lasting honor to your name by rescuing your people from Egypt in a great display of power, but we have sinned and we are full of wickedness. In view of all your faithful mercies, Lord, please, please turn your furious anger away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. All the neighboring nations mock Jerusalem and your people because of our sins and the sins of our ancestors. Oh, our God, hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead for your own sake, Lord. Smile again on your desolate sanctuary. Oh, my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea, not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and act. For your own sake, do not delay. Oh, my God, for your people and your city, bear your name. I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. As I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in an earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. He explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given. And now I'm here to tell you what it was, for you were very precious to God. Did you get that? The moment that Daniel began praying, God gave an answer to his prayer. And that answer was on the way. And then it says this. Listen carefully. So that you can understand the meaning of your vision. Now I believe as we look at Daniel's prayer. We learn how we can pray powerfully. And as we look at this prayer. We discover four truths. And here's what I believe with all my heart. At least three of these things. We don't do in our prayer life today. And maybe, just maybe, this is why our prayers aren't powerful like Daniel's prayers were powerful. And so what can we learn about powerful praying? Here's the first thing. Powerful prayers originate with the Word of God. Did you hear me? Did you get that? Powerful prayers originate with the word of God. Daniel was reading from the book of Jeremiah. And as he did, he came across this truth 
from God. Jerusalem would lie desolate for 70 years. And all of a sudden, Daniel realizes the 70 years are about up. And so Daniel began praying, Lord, restore your city. It's time for you to restore your city. You promised that the city would lie desolate for 70 years. And then you promised that you would return your people to Jerusalem. You promised that the city would be rebuilt. Lord, hear my prayers. Answer your promises. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I've heard some pretty crazy prayers in 40 years of ministry. And to be honest, I've prayed some of those crazy prayers. And the reason that we oftentimes pray crazy prayers is because we aren't praying according to God's word. We pray during times of desperation when our world is falling apart, when we need God to do something, but we haven't taken the time to see If God has already given us a word about our circumstance or about our situation that we find ourselves in. You see, it's in God's word that we discover God's will. And it's in God's word that we discover God's way. And prayer isn't some tool that we use to get God to do what we want. Prayer is a tool To help us discover and then do God's will. And listen to me. When we discover God's will, what God wants, we will discover that what he wants, what his will is, is far greater than anything we could ever ask or imagine in our wildest dreams. And when we pray according to God's will, God promises to not only hear, God promises to answer. In 1 John 5, John says this. He says, this is the confidence that we have in God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And then it goes on to say, and not only does he hear us, we know that we have the petitions, the request that we have asked. When we pray according to God's will, God answers And didn't Jesus teach us that this is how we're to pray? Didn't he say that we're to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Didn't Jesus say that we should be praying that God's will is done, not our will? And when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane about to face a cruel, agonizing death on the cross... We hear him praying these words, God, Father, if it could be your will, remove this cup from me. But do you know what he prayed next? He prayed, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Listen carefully. I am afraid that many of us in American Christianity today have totally misunderstood our relationship with God Almighty. And that has caused us to be confused about how we to pray. You see, prayer isn't about asking God to serve us. It's not about God sitting up in heaven waiting for us to ask and then God say to us, I'm here to do whatever you ask. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is about us serving God, discovering, and then carrying out His will. You see, we are His servants. 
not vice versa. And we pray like God is to serve us. And yet the Bible is very clear that we are to serve God. You see, you shouldn't just be reading through the Bible so that you can learn truth. You should be praying through the Bible as you discover God's promises and God's will and God's way for your life. Because as we read it, we discover his will, we discover his promises, and we discover God's plans and purposes for us. I've got to be honest with you, I haven't counted them. But I've been told that there are over 3,000 promises from God in the Bible. 3,000 promises. Promises that God has given us. Promises that God has guaranteed based on his character that he will keep. The sad reality is many of us don't even have a clue what those promises are. Because we've never sat down and systematically read through and prayed through God's word. As we're reading and praying through God's word, sometimes we will discover a promise that God gives us that will meet a need, bring comfort and peace to our life. Other times, as we are reading and praying through God's word, we will discover something that God is calling us to do. John Patton was a, was a preacher in, in Scotland in the 19th century. He was pastoring a, a successful church, but, but he, he couldn't get these people off of his mind. It were these people on an island in the middle of the Pacific, the New Hybrid Islands. And, and the people that lived there had never heard about Jesus. And they were cannibals. And yet he felt like that God wanted him to go there because the Bible said that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Bible says that God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And he said they will never come to a knowledge of the truth unless someone tells them, God, are you calling me to go? And he was willing to go. So he and his wife packed up and went to the New Hybrids Island, an island that was filled with cannibals. And it was rough and dangerous and difficult living and while he was there his wife and his young daughter died and John Patton had to literally sleep on their graves for days to keep the cannibals from coming digging up their bodies and eating them it's tough but over time One of the villagers came to faith in Christ, then another, then another. And it's said that when he went there in 1858, there was not a single believer in Jesus on the island. But 35 years later, everybody on the island was a believer. He prayed through God's word, read something that was in God's will. God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And and he said, God, these people will never come to know the truth unless someone tells them. And that someone may be me. And I'm willing to go. And he went. He lost his wife. He lost his child. But an entire group of people came to faith in Christ. One of my favorite stories of all time about prayer comes from his journal. And in a conversation with one of the island chiefs, Later on, the island chief asked him this question. 
He said, when you first got here, who was that army that guarded your house each night? And there wasn't an army. They were there by themselves. He, his wife, his child. Who was this army that was guarding his house? It was angels from Almighty God that God had put around that house to protect them until his will was accomplished among those people. Listen, when you pray God's will and you're willing to act on God's will, God will use you to do great and mighty things. I know some of you right now are praying for people that you know and love to come to faith in Christ. They're living in rebellion against God. They've never bent their knee, given their heart to their Savior, their Creator. And you're praying, Lord, please save them. Send someone to save them. And I would say to you today, maybe God is waiting for you to be the answer to someone else's prayer before he answers your prayer. You see, maybe, just maybe, there is someone in your sphere of influence that God could use you to share the gospel with that would come to faith in Christ, and you haven't shared with them yet. And God is saying, there are people praying that you will be the one who shares with them. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, listen. When we begin to get into God's word and discover the promises of God, discover the will of God, that's how we are to pray. Powerful prayers originate with the word of God. Second truth. Powerful prayers are God-focused. Notice what Daniel said. He said, oh, Lord, you're great. You're awesome. You always fulfill your covenant. You keep your promises. Then he goes on to say, God, you're merciful. You're forgiving. I'm afraid most of us fail to realize that that prayer isn't first and foremost about getting God to do something for us. Prayer first and foremost is about us getting to know God better, to understand who he is, what he is like. That's the purpose of prayer primarily. Intimacy with our creator, getting to know our creator. And when we do that, when we spend time praying to God, getting to know God, understanding who he is, his character, his attributes, then we will discover that oftentimes that knowledge of God will change the direction and the scope of our prayers. The navigators have a resource called Pray in the Names and Attributes of God. It's a little eight-page booklet manual. You can can download it online, and I would encourage you to do that. It's just a little 30-day thing where you're given a name or an attribute of God each day, and it tells you how that relates to you, how that character, that attribute of God relates to you, and, and you're getting to know God better as you pray. I encourage you to do that. Because once you know who God is, you will understand God is really all I want. God is really all I need. You know, we say things like that. God is enough. I mean, that's one of the cool things we say to show we're spiritual today. God's enough. But is he really enough in our life? Is knowing him and sitting in his presence really enough or do we need more? 
I am afraid that we are so consumed with ourselves and our wants that our prayers reveal that it's not really about him. It's about us. And the problem is that is what has created all the problems. When we focus on us, problems develop. You don't believe me? Go back to the third chapter in the Bible. Everything was good in chapter 1. Everything was great in chapter 2. In chapter 3, the enemy, Satan, comes. And what does he do? He turns Adam and Eve's attention on themselves. You can have. You can be. You should want. And they wanted. And it messed up everything. And all the problems that we face in the world today are a result of Adam and Eve focusing their attention on themselves rather than focusing their attention on God. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, if we could only refocus our prayer and spend more time focusing on God and less time focusing on what we want, I believe that it would change everything because it would change us. And that leads me to the third truth we see in Daniel's prayer. And that's this, powerful prayers recognize our sinfulness before God and, and then lead us to confess those sins before God. As you read through this particular prayer, you discover that the bulk of this prayer is, is Daniel confessing his sins and the sins of his people. I, I mean, over and over and over again, Daniel is confessing sins. Now, here's what you need to understand. The Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians could find nothing in Daniel's character to attack. He literally was a man above reproach. Daniel is one of only a few people in the entire word of God that nothing bad is said about them. Peter, he was a loud mouth. He denied Jesus. I mean, he was... Constantly wanting to get into fights. I mean, Peter had all kind of flaws. Moses led the people of God out of, out of bondage in Egypt. He killed a man. Uh, Paul, the great missionary. I mean, he was rounding up Christians and putting them to death. But Daniel, there's nothing in the word of God ever said about Daniel's character. No one saw a flaw in Daniel. But hear me. Daniel saw the flaws. Daniel knew that he was a sinner. Nobody else may have saw it, but Daniel did. Why? Because he was God-focused. And listen to me. When you get into the presence of God, it reveals your sin. The closer you get to God, the more you understand who he is is and you move into his presence the more you realize how wretched you are you won't be saying things like i'm pretty good i'm i'm doing better than most no you'll be saying i don't deserve anything but the judgment of god i gotta tell you that's what i deserve I don't deserve God's mercy. I don't deserve God's grace. I deserve God's judgment. 
And every single one of you do as well. Now here's what you need to understand. Daniel was not confessing the sins of the Babylonians. He was not confessing the sins of the Medes and the Persians. He was confessing his sins and the sins of his people, the people of God. Here's our problem today. Listen, wake up. We focus on the sins of the people outside these doors. And we think that all of the problems we are facing today is because of the sins of the people outside these doors. Man, we've got it wrong. The problems we're facing today have nothing to do with the sins of the people outside these doors. The problems that we're having today are a result of the sins of the people sitting in these seats. It's our sin. We're the people of God. We're the one that has the answers. We're the ones that have the solution. We're the ones that have access to the power that can change everything. And if things aren't being changed, it's because there is sin in our lives that is keeping God from moving. I'm here to tell you, listen to me. If the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ got right with God today, our nation would change. Everything would change. And so let's do a little deep dive for just a moment because I'm here to tell you, we, we're the problem. We're self-righteous. We're blind to our sins. We excuse it. We use grace as a crutch rather than desiring holiness and righteousness and purity with God. And so let's do a little deep dive. Let's start with something that's easy, sexuality. The Bible makes it clear about sex, doesn't it? Sex is for a man and a woman who have made a covenant relationship to be a husband and a wife forever. Sex is just between the man and the woman. That's it. In a marital relationship forever. Anything other than that is sin. Did you hear me? If you're not married to a husband or a wife and you're having sex, you're sinning against God. So sex before marriage is sin. Pornography is sin. Lust is sin. Having sex with anyone other than your spouse after you're married is sin. It's sin. The Bible says that the marriage bed is to be undefiled. And yet we in the church have defiled the marriage bed as much as the people in the world today. I mean, I imagine, I don't know, but I imagine that there are some of you that are living in sin right now. You're living together outside of marriage. You're not married and you're sleeping together. You're viewing pornography. And we could go on and on and on. And yet you're thinking that you're right with God. You're not right with God. And what about drunkenness and, and abusing drugs? Now, now we're not talking about, and we're not going to get into whether it's a sin to drink a glass of wine or drink a beer. That's irrelevant for this. But the Bible makes it clear that drunkenness, being controlled by a drug, is sin. And here's what I know. 
If I am going to alcohol or a pill or anything else to make me happy, to loosen me up, to give me joy, to take away my anxiety, then I am going to something to control me. And if I am, the Bible says that's sin. What about worshiping other gods? You say, well, we don't worship other gods. Okay, what about worshiping another person? What about worshiping other things? What about not remembering the Sabbath, setting aside a day where you're saying, this is God's day, and I'm going to focus my attention on him today? What about stealing, taking things that aren't yours? What about murder? Probably don't have any murderers in here. We may, but we probably don't. But what about hatred? What about bullying? What about making fun of people? What about jealousy and and envy and greed? You see something that someone else wants and you criticize them because they have something you want that you don't have. Materialism. What about gossip or slander or talking bad about someone else to someone else rather than going to them what about division and dissension in the body of Christ and oh we could go on and on and on when we truly come into the presence of a holy God our sins will be exposed and if we know the Lord Jesus and our heart has been changed We will have a desire for those sins to be removed and for us to be set free from the power of that sin. And anything other than that is keeping God's power from being manifested in your life. Oh, we need to forgive. Ask God to forgive us. We need to go before the throne of God and confess our sins. And what about the casual way that we treat God. God is God. Do you get that? I mean, he created everything. You're here because of his grace and mercy. And yet we live our lives basically independent of him every single day of our life, coming together an hour or two a week giving him this token recognition. And we wonder why we're in such bad shape today. Powerful prayers recognize our sinfulness before God and confesses them. Final thing, powerful prayers are specific in their request. Daniel prayed very specifically. He prayed two things. He prayed, Father, forgive us. He was seeking to be forgiven for this sin that was separating them from God that caused all this judgment upon them. But then he prayed, Father, keep your promise. Restore Jerusalem. Take us back home. If we want to pray powerfully, we need to discover what God wants us to pray from his word and then We need to hold on to those promises, taking them to God. Martin Luther once said this. He said, powerful prayers equal holding God to his word. Powerful prayers equals 
holding God to his word. In other words, if God said something, we remind God, God, you said this. And if God, you said it, you keep your promises, your word is true, so God, you need to do it. We keep God to his word. Now notice what happens here. When Daniel prayed, God answered. Immediately, the angel Gabriel came to give Daniel an answer. When we pray like Daniel, God will answer our prayers. So what is it perhaps that you're not doing today? Are your prayers originating with the Word of God? Are you going to the Word of God to discover what God really wants you to pray about? Or are you just praying selfish, self-centered prayers? Prayers are God-focused. They aren't focused on your needs. They're focused on the character and the nature of God. Powerful prayers recognize our sinfulness and have a desire to confess those sins and turn from those sins. And powerful prayers are specific. So are you praying powerful, life-changing, world-changing prayers? If there was ever a time that we needed to in our world, it's today. So I want you to take a moment and just bow your head with me right now. Bow your head, close your eyes. There's two things I want us to do. One, if you're here and you've never humbled yourself before your creator, trusting his son Jesus to forgive you for your sins and save you, then I want to encourage you today to do that. There's nothing more important for you to do. You need to acknowledge your sin. You need to trust that Jesus Christ died for your sins on the cross. You need to believe that his victory over sin and death by being resurrected from the grave can give you freedom in life. And you need to ask him to fill you with his spirit. And if you do that, you mean it, God will forever change your life. And so if that's what you need to do today, just do it right now. You say, what do I do? Well, just do what I just said to do. Acknowledge your sin. Ask Jesus to save you. Give him control of your life. Commit to follow him for the rest of your days. But for the rest of us, those of us who already have a relationship with Jesus, I want to ask you, have you been praying powerful prayers? The kind that Daniel prayed. The kind that originate in the word of God. The kind that focus on God, not ourselves, the kind that desire holiness and righteousness in our life, confessing our sins, forsaking those sins. If you haven't been, I want to challenge you today, make a commitment to pray powerful prayers. So I want you to take a moment, right where you're at, just talk to God. Look at your prayer life, see if it's what it needs to be, and if it's not, Make a commitment right now to make it right. Let's do that. Father, we know our only hope is found in you. We know that we are powerless 
to change our world. We are powerless to see one person saved. We are powerless to see one person delivered from the bondage of sin. We are powerless to restore relationships. We're powerless apart from you. And so, Father God, I pray that you will make us a people who pray powerfully, who dig deep into your word, discovering how to pray, what to pray for. Father, I pray that we will focus on you your will, your desire, your wants, who you are, rather than our desires as we pray. Father God, I pray that we will become a holy and righteous and pure people so that, Father, you can use us as we pray to make a difference in our world. Forgive us. Forgive us. We know. We know that we are where we're at today because of us. We know that. Forgive us. Use us. Cleanse us. Purify us. We're your people. We want to honor you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.